I am doing two things today. I'm asking, uh, I'm giving the community prayer and reading the scripture, but I'm going to reverse the order, and I hope that will be clear in a little bit. So here is the scripture for our, uh, our sermon this morning. It comes from the book of Acts. Sorry, it comes from the book of Romans. Closer? Okay. <clears throat> the scripture comes from Romans chapter 8, it's one of the famous chapters of the Bible that we love. And I'm reading from verses 18 to 27. Romans 8, 18 to 27. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that the very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The reason I wanted to put the prayer afterwards is I wanted to give a little sense of my own thinking this past week as I have been mulling over these scriptures. When I was younger, I, had a mother, I was privileged to have a mother who really had a profound understanding of God and knew how to pray. And I grew very, very dependent on her. So when I went away to college, any crises, I was there on the phone to talk to my mother to get her to pray for me. And when she died, when I was 32, my girls were little, I thought God had died because I thought the one who knew how to pray had died. So, you know, we all have grief when we lose a loved one, but the grief was much deeper for me. And it's taken years and years of looking for people to pray. And the scripture today struck me this week when it said, the Spirit prays for us. Do you get it? It's so exciting. The Spirit prays for us. 
The Spirit intercedes for this, the saints, the Bible tells us. And so this past week, I have, instead of praying specifically for things, I have prayed, Spirit, pray for what I need. And so as I go to prayer briefly for the community prayer, I'm just saying, all of us, just open our hands and let the Spirit pray for us. So let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have sent the Spirit to us. And we as a community here have all sorts of needs, all sorts of things that need healing. We have people that we know about that we are concerned, such as Liv Huff in the hospital right now. And other people, we have prayed weekly for them. We have prayed for our family members who do not know you or who are not following you, and that troubles us. We pray for those who are suffering incredibly, for those who have lost someone important to them just recently. We think of all the burdens that are present in this room at this moment, and I cannot pray adequately. But yet, we do not need someone to pray for us when we already have you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So today, as we noted, today is the final Sunday of Pentecost. We've had a number of weeks to think about the Spirit as our breath, the Spirit as our wind. Ruach is the Hebrew word, the pneuma of God. So the Spirit is with us, and the Spirit uh, leads and directs and guides us. So I wanted to end today this short series with a text from Romans, so we hear a little bit from the Apostle Paul. And then I think for the next few weeks I'm going to sit with some themes from Romans 8 to take us through the end of the, the, end of the month. So the Spirit here as our help. So a few words, just as we note. So in life, you know, we, we have this tension, this tandem of suffering and glory. So Rosalina danced to the statement that Christ is our hope and glory. Christ is our hope in glory. And when you read through chapter 8 of Romans, it, it, it talks about both. It talks about our suffering. It doesn't diminish our suffering. It recognizes that we experience suffering. So the text talks about the world, the actual globe suffering. We know all about that with climate change. I think this past week was the hottest day ever on planet Earth as far as we, we know. I mean, that's... Something, isn't it? Around the world. So we know suffering. We know suffering on a planet level. We know suffering on an individual level. And in this past year, I know a number of you have definitely experienced suffering. And folk in our congregation are still experiencing suffering in various ways. And we, we all do that. We carry that. So there's this tension of living our day, living our day 24 hours 7, you in your every day, and suffering is part of your every day. 
at some level. But at the same time, Paul talks about glory, that there are flashes of glory. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy, and Lewis didn't become a Christian until, you know, well into his 20s. But he grew up in England, he loved to walk, he, you know, he was an artist in his own way for sure, and he would get flashes of joy. That's what he called it. We could also call it glory. But he would go out for a walk, let's say, and then just be stunned by some vista that would just hit him. Listen to a song, see a dance, read some poetry, whatever it might be, there's some flash of joy for Lewis. Surprised by joy. He was surprised by it. And then ultimately comes to know Christ, and Christ becomes for him the greater joy. And so in the midst of our suffering, we do have notes of glory or joy or whatever you want to call it. Something breaks through, and wow, there's just an element of joy, a rush of joy. And so when we come to chapter 8 of Romans, that's, that's the context we're dealing with. And we all live with that tension. So we can come here this morning and experience joy in our worship, and then you go home, I don't know, you leave the church and you get a flat tire, you know what I mean? I remember a couple coming here years ago, and they parked across the street behind the store where you're not supposed to park, and they came in, experienced a good service, and they went back there and they had a big ticket on their window. They weren't very happy about it. And they came across and said, Alan, I got this ticket. Well, yikes, you know. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, but you know what I mean? Like you can come here, joy, and then all of a sudden there's challenges. And so that's the tension that Paul is noting as he begins. And then I just want to also note that with Paul, the, the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, there's a great fluidity in his language. It's not like three boxes, Father goes here, Son goes here, the Spirit goes here, and they're just like completely different. Because this is his language, you would note it from our text. The Spirit of God, the pneuma, the ruach of God. And then he says, verse 9, the second half, the Spirit of Christ. Verse 10, the spirit of life. Verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus. Again, the spirit that dwells in you. And so there's this, and, and you'll see it all over. So there's a, there's a fluidity of this. So we, of this reality. So we pray to God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit to God the Father, through Christ, by the Spirit. So Paul uses that language, and that's, that's how it shows up in the New Testament epistles. So there's, there's a beauty to that. You see what I mean? It's, it's not like boom, boom, boom. It's, it's, it's fluid. And so we're thinking of the Spirit of God, and we're thinking of the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. 
So we're noting the Trinitarian presence of God in us. That's what Pentecost is about. God shows up in your life. God, Father, shows up. Christ shows up in your life. The Spirit shows up in your life. God reveals himself in these different ways, and it's fluid. So our calling is to be open to God's presence in our lives so that we might experience some glory amidst the suffering. So here we go, and I'm just going to pick out certain verses. The text is too long and involved to try to do it all today. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So the first word to think of is the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits is a harvest festival. Beth and I were down in Prince Edward County for a few days this week, working down there remotely. And there's harvest, there's, there's, there's growth everywhere. Crops are going up everywhere. A few weeks ago we talked about the Sukkot festival. Well, here we have the Spirit as the first fruits dwelling within us. We don't have the fullness in every way of the Holy Spirit. We don't have that yet. One day we will. But right now we have the first fruits. It's a celebration of the first crop. So that's the image that Paul is using here. Israel had two crops. They had a crop early, they had a crop late. The first fruits, you get that first harvest, and you see it, you hold it, whatever it might be. Beside our place down there, there's a huge cornfield. The corn's growing up. Pretty soon you'll be able to go and get maybe the first fruits. So that's the image that Paul uses to begin. So the indwelling Holy Spirit is a first fruit of knowing later the fullness of God's body in us. We wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. As Beth noted, we wait for it in patience. The Holy Spirit in you and me as a first fruit, first image. Second image, Paul uses other places. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. The second word is the pledge. The pledge is the Holy Spirit. The pledge is a commercial term. It's a financial gift to you in in light of all that's going to come later. It's the same. So it's a different image. First, agriculture. Second, commercial. But the idea is the same. The beginning. It's the beginning point. It's used of an engagement ring. That word for pledge. Seal. Use as a passport, if you like. That's your passport, a seal. It shows who you are and what might come afterwards. So the first fruits and pledge. So I want you to think about how does that work in your life? How is the Spirit a first fruit in your life right now? How is the Spirit a pledge, a seal in your life right now? Paul is saying that if you know Christ, the Spirit dwells within you, and in some level the Spirit is with you, how do you experience that? Could you say that's true in your life? The Spirit dwells within you as a first fruit. 
a pledge. So how, how might you experience that? Well, I'm suggesting it, it, it comes through an, an inner conviction. There's something in you that tells you that this is the truth. In spite of a thousand contradictions, in spite of a life of chaos at times, in spite of terrible things happening. A little girl got hit in the junction this week and, and, and I believe at this point has died. My kids know the parents. A little girl jumped out in front of a car, 10 years old, boom. An accident. Can you imagine how that feels for everybody? That's chaos. That's, 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 that's suffering incredible. But in the midst of all the pain, is there an inner conviction that God is real and God dwells within you? I think the Spirit does reveal that. In spite of all of the crap, in spite of all the questions, in spite of all the things that have gone wrong in your life, even as a Christian, bad choices you've made even as a Christian, still there's an inner conviction that God is real in my life. Is that true or not? Is that true for you? You don't understand why, but you believe. You believe there's a conviction that this is right, that this isn't a fairy tale, that God is real for me through his spirit, Christ is in me, the hope of glory, in spite of all the crap. So Paul and Silas, what? They're able to sing hymns even though they're in a dungy, dirty Roman jail in Philippi. Because there's a conviction. And so I think we have to hang on to that. In your pain, in your hurt, in your illness, when all that stuff happens, how do you know it's even real? Well, the best thing to start with is this inner conviction, this reality that the Spirit is in you. If the Spirit isn't in you, then, then, it, then it's just like it's a pipe dream. It's like, why? Why do I even feel this way? But Paul says, uses two images, first fruits and pledge. That's where he goes. So we think about that, the first fruits piece. We hold on to that. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We go back, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit, who dwells within you as a first fruits and as a pledge, helps you in your weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us. An unusual word here means he takes part with, he comes alongside, he gives us first aid, he takes us with him, her. This is the Spirit helping us. So it's a little bit, but it's not the same word as John when he uses advocate, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you, a companion. So it's not the same word as that, but it's the same idea. The Spirit is your helper. The Spirit is your helper. 
We're promised that. So in your life, in the challenges you face, we're told that the Spirit is your helper. So let's look to the Spirit to help us. And where does he help us? He helps us in our weakness. So how do we experience weakness? Well, a variety of ways. One is the Greek word soma, which means your physical challenges. God helps us in our weakness. Liv Huff is in the hospital right now. I'm not sure. I got a text from Arlene yesterday. They're waiting for an operation. Do we know any more on that? Anybody? Waiting still for a transfer. So what is that about? Soma is our body, its weakness, our fragility. Your aches and pains, your hurts, physically, accidents that happen. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It doesn't mean we don't have these challenges. But the Spirit will help us in our, in our weaknesses. That's, that's what soma is about. That's body. But there's a second dimension. There is sarx, which is flesh. It's a different Greek word. And sarx means our moral weakness. Our tendencies to sin. We all have that. Nobody's perfect, the scriptures tell us. We all have our pull to whatever it might be. Turning away from God, our resistance. Resistance can be your pride. Resistance can be, well, I'm always right, I'm never wrong. I'm, I'm right. That's resistance. As a parent, with kids. We were having dinner yesterday, and I don't know, we're talking around the table. My mom's form of discipline was that when I was a kid would be quite harsh and bat me across the head. Alan, don't do that. Whack. All right. You know, a good whack in the head, I know you're not supposed to do that anymore, but it does change, it does get your attention. Shadow, I don't know if that ever happened, but that gets your attention. Whack. Oh, I'm not saying do that, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> and Frankie's at the table, and he says, I know, if I get whacked, I whack him back. <laughs> My mom whacks me, I'm whacking her back. I'm saying, you know what, you wouldn't do that to my mom. Forget it. If you whacked her back, now you're in real problems, all right? That ain't happening. <laughs> Resistance, our response, whatever it might be. We all have it. We want to know God and we also resist God. We've said this before. We want him, but we resist him. We want him, but there's other things we want. And so the Spirit helps us then in that reality. He doesn't say to us, she doesn't say to us, well, you should never feel that way. She's, the Spirit helps us in Yuma. I say she because the ruach in Hebrew is, is feminine. God reveals himself masculine and feminine. Just the way it is. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. There's Paul. That's pretty blunt. We resist. He felt the same thing. So God helps us in our body, our soma. God helps us in our flesh, in our weakness, and he helps us in our prayer, which we're getting to the main point. 
He helps us in our communication with God. Why? For we do not know how, we, how to pray as we ought. We do not know how to pray as we ought. Why? Because we only see the surface. We don't, we don't see the full reality. We don't. But God sees the whole thing. So we can be praying crazy about something, 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 and it doesn't happen, and then we say, well, God didn't answer my prayers. We don't know that. Because God sees the deeper reality. It's like an iceberg, right? An iceberg, you just see a little bit of on top of the water, <laughs> like 90% of it is below the water or whatever. You don't even see it. So God sees. And so, you see, that takes a humility to say, you know what, we don't know the whole thing. I think I know the whole thing, but you and I do not know the whole thing. The Spirit helps us. We do not even know how to pray. So we need to remember that because sometimes we think we know the whole deal. We don't know the whole deal. So we have to open our hands, as Beth said, and trust, because we do not know the whole deal. So God realizes that, and the Spirit then helps us in that reality. The Spirit who does know the whole deal, who lives within you, helps us bring that reality to God. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep to even be heard, to hear, right? We, Rob and I have a few times in the diving world have dove with big, big whales, humpback whales. And when you're in the water, you can hear in a distance, miles away, these bass sounds. And then you can also hear, hear on, the high, on the high end a song. Different sounds. And many more that we don't hear. And the Spirit is like that, groans for you and for me at a deep level. And that is meant to be a good thing. Why? Because the Spirit is in solidarity with us. You are not on your own. God is our companion, and Christ and the Spirit is our companion. So what we see is the Spirit prays for us, Beth said, and secondly, Christ prays for us in heaven. So we have two advocates the Spirit here, God in Christ in heaven, interceding for you and for me. The Spirit in solidarity with us, helps us in our weakness when we do not know. And then, because of that, God hears and understands. So it gets, you know, it gets complicated, right? But here we get a new name for God. God is the heart searcher. God is our heart searcher, but not in a scary way. God is your heart searcher. He understands you at a depth level, which I say is a very good thing. Because he knows you, your real heart's intention. He knows way below, you know, how we act out. He knows way below that. And he sees you as the beloved, 
as John said. Way deep, 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 deep. God is our heart searcher. And he knows your heart and loves you and cares for you. And the Spirit brings all that together so the Spirit and the Father resonate together for you, your future, your reality. Loves you in that kind of way. So much so that Paul finishes with this verse. We'll deal more with this next week. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You've heard that before. And we say, well, how can that possibly be true? How can God work all things for good? Because I've had all kinds of crap in my life that hasn't seemingly worked for my good. But, Paul says, God knows at a much, much, much deeper level. And he says, and Julian repeated in her visions, all shall be well. Ultimately, all shall be well. We don't see it. We don't know. But we know and trust in the heart searcher. And that takes faith, right? It all comes down to faith. You have to say your yes and hold on to your yes in spite of a thousand contradictions. That's what you and I have to do. So closing up, the Spirit is our helper. Numa, Ruach, he helps us. The presence of Jesus within us every day, your every day, your everyday world. Your routine, what you do Monday to Friday, you get up, you go to work, you do whatever you do, the Spirit is with you and with me in our everyday world, helper. He's also our interceder. That all sounds, you see, I know it sounds like, I don't even know what that means, but the Spirit is praying for you. He's helping you. He's walking with you. Just like a mom would walk with a little child and help. We're just like that to God, right? We're, just, we're like little children. No matter how smart we think we are. Just little children. And the Spirit helps us, holds our hand. Paul calls us to walk in patience, but also with expectation. The word used there has got both sense. Sense of trust, not in lethargy, not in apathy, not in pessimism. That is not to be our way. Not apathetic, not lethargic, not pessimistic. Can you live with a little bit of optimism? Can you let a smile break through periodically? Why? Because we wait in expectation. And it ends with this statement. Paul ends in verse 31. God is with us. That's our confidence. If God is with, not with us, well, man, eat, drink, and be happy. Do your thing. Just go out and get it, whatever it might be, because it's your one go, just do it, man. 
But if God is for us, in the Greek words, the way the phrase goes, it just goes into four parts. God. Creator God. Savior God. God is active energy, a verb. God is for. He's on your side. He's for us. The Spirit is for you. And finally, us. You. He loves you way more than you have any possible idea. God is for us. God is for you. You. And your family. Your friends. He's the one we need to look to. She is the one we need to look to. God is for us. That's where the text goes, Romans 8. Because of that, he is our helper. We trust, we depend, and lean on him. That's where we say it. Can we say amen together? Amen. Yeah, really? Amen, right? He is with us. We need to hold on to that because life can be very, very, very hard. You know that. But God is for you. He's for me. He's for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.